A reading from the book of Isaiah. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. When I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb, to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord. And my God has become my strength, he says. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers, Kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the people. Members of the Christian community at Corinth are urged to be aware of the importance of their discipleship. We are reminded that each of us has a spiritual gift to offer to the church. The second reading this morning comes from the book of Corinthians. Paul called uh, a reading from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother of Santhensen's to, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Jesus, Jesus Christ, called to be saints, together with all those in every place, call on our name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus, for in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, 
But I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Be seated, please. Some weeks the scriptures are very thin and hard to find things to preach on, and other weeks they're just way too rich and hard to narrow it down. And this is one of those weeks. Um, So I'm not going to come to any conclusions. Um, I'm still meditating over these scriptures, still trying to, to pull together everything that's in there. And so I hope I leave you with some things to chew on and to meditate on Um, as you leave today. During this last week, um, you would have had to be sleeping not to know what happened in Tucson um, and and all of the media attention um, that has been given to it. And we're doing what we love to do and what we do best, and that is blaming. We're pointing the finger of blame. Well, the problem is gun control. Or the problem is Sarah Palin and her little maps with the crosshairs. Or the problem is our heated rhetoric and we're blaming. I think you have to be really, really careful um, and not do that kind of thing because this guy was frankly crazy. And to say that it's the fault of something else, um, well, you're, you're skating thin ice. But it does raise the question, what is the role of the church in this, how is it that we can help our culture talk to itself? How is it that we can help people talk to each other in a way that isn't about blame? What is our vocation here? Lovely passage from Isaiah, um, the prophet speaking in the name of Judah, speaking for the people says, or has God say, before you were born, I chose you. Before I formed you in the womb, you were my chosen. Assuring the people that they are still God's chosen. I took you as a sharp sword and hid you in my hand, a polished arrow and hid you in my quiver. That we were chosen, the prophet is saying, for working out God's purposes in the world. 
And the way they understood that, it was military. We were chosen to work out God's purposes as sword and arrow. But then the prophet replies, but I have spent my strength in vanity. Nothing has come of what I thought was my purpose. And so really, God, you chose us to work out your purpose. And God says in reply, it is too light a thing for you to restore the tribes of Jacob. The northern kingdom, Jacob or Israel, had already gone into exile. It looked like Judah, the southern kingdom, was soon to follow. It's too light a thing for you to restore just Jacob, but rather you will be to bring my salvation to the ends of the earth and not in the way that you thought you were going to do it. The Lord says to one who is a slave of rulers, abhorred by the nations, despised by the peoples, kings will see and stand up, princes, and they will prostrate themselves. You will do this by being servant rather than by being victor. And then we come to John's gospel, and this is where my head is just still spinning over these scriptures. John the Baptist is standing there and says, when he sees Jesus walk by, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I've been studying sacrifice. You know this in in my doctoral dissertation. And I've gone back and read all of the the, um, cultic legislation in the Old Testament. And there is no Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sin offering on Yom Kippur, the great day of atonement, the priest takes a kid, a goat, and offers it for himself. Actually, there are two goats, and he throws lots, and one of them becomes the sin offering. And then a bullock for the people. And then the other goat, the one who got the lucky straw, he lays his hands on and places all of the sins of the people on the head of the goat, and then drives the goat into the wilderness so that no animal dies to take away the sin of the world. And it's not a lamb, it's a goat. So what John the Baptist is doing, or John the Evangelist is doing through the mouth of John the Baptist, is taking Yom Kippur and Passover and jamming them together. Any Jew who heard that would have said, wait a minute, time out, you can't do that. The Passover lamb doesn't take away sins, it's the kid, what's going on? For us Christians, it's become such familiar language, we don't even think about it. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We sing it um, in our Eucharist. So, John's community was originally Jewish. They would have heard that. They would have been troubled. They would have kept that in mind. The next day, John is standing there and says, Behold the Lamb of God. Two of his disciples hear him, follow Jesus. Jesus notices that they're there, turns around, and says to them, What are you seeking? In the other three Gospels, Jesus' first words, the first words out of Jesus' mouth, are, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the other three Gospels, Jesus has a program. He knows what the program is. He comes, he gets it started. In John's Gospel, the first words out of Jesus' mouth are a question. What do you seek? And they reply, Rabbi, where are you staying? And the verb for staying becomes the most important verb in John's gospel. As you read that gospel, you hear that verb over and over and over again, and you know what, how that's used. The Father remains in me, and I remain in the Father. The one who keeps my word remains in us, and we remain with him over and over and over again, that confusion of boundaries. John's community is Jewish. 
They've been kicked out of the synagogue. The temple is gone. The burning question is, where do we find God? Where does God remain in the world? Where are you staying? In the next chapter, Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem. He cleanses the temple, and the authorities come to him and say, by what authority do you do this? And he says, tear down this temple, and in three days I'll rebuild it. And his disciples remember and say, oh, he was talking about the temple of his body. So that Jesus replaces the temple. But where do we find Jesus? And then throughout John's gospel, that confusion of categories, I remain with you, you remain with me, Father, and I remain with the one who believes, we find Jesus in community. Where do you remain? And Jesus says, come and see. And they came and remained with him that day. Um, At the end of John's gospel... Remember, John the Baptist has said, I saw the Spirit descend and remain, and the one on whom I saw that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. At the end of John's Gospel, the the disciples are gathered in the room. The door is closed for fear of the Jews. Jesus comes and stands among them, breathes on them, and says, Receive Holy Spirit. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Who's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world? We are. In chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, you are the sheep. Oh, lambs, we're going to remember that. We're the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Breathes on them, says, receive Holy Spirit. As the Father sent me, so I send you. The sins of whoever you release are released to them. The sins of whoever you hold on are held on for them. How do we go about removing the sins of the world? It's as simple as forgiveness. Do we release or hold on to? I've never sort of noticed this chiastic structure in John, the beginning and the end, sort of holding together like that. So it raises the question, what do we do instead of blame? How do we have a conversation instead of saying it's his fault or her fault or that person's fault or this um, category's fault or whatever? We start by asking a question. What do you seek? The first question of evangelism, the first question of engaging the other is asking, what do you seek? And then when they reply, where do you stay? Where do we find God? The response is, come and see. And we can either let people into community by releasing sins or keep people out by holding on. The vocation is ours. We are the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John is making an incredible claim for his community. And I'm convinced his community was about 150 people. So he's making cosmic claims for a small community of 150 people. We're slightly less than 150 people. John would make the same claim about us. How do we engage our culture? Instead of blaming, the question we ask is, what do you seek? What do you really want? Where do you find it? Come and see. Amen.